I'll read the sermon lesson now, but to give us some context, I'll begin reading at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them, each of us hears them in our native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, ah, they, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. The man, this man, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My friend Jeff was a towering but grandfatherly individual. Jeff lived out in the country on quite a large piece of property with his elegant country home sitting in the front, surrounded by immaculately manicured gardens. Behind that was an old barn that had been remodeled to look like a cottage, and if you looked out the back windows, it stretched across scenic wild fields that met forests in the back. 
in the forest. There was a creek that ran down the hill into a larger river that was the end of his property, and there was trails running throughout his property. One of the flowers even painted the barn. One morning as I finished up my work, I went to go say goodbye to Jeff, and he asked me a question, perhaps the most assumptive question that I've been asked, which was really no question at all now that I think about it. Jeff looked at me, he goes, Matt, what, what do you think about putting a bridge up over, uh, over that creek? You can, you can build a bridge, can't you? If you, if you don't know anything about me, uh, my prowess as a handyman who just goes out and builds bridges is, well, let's just say still developing. But I said yes, because Jeff is not the one to disappoint. For some reason, I said yes, and as soon as I did, I regretted it. The truth is, I couldn't tell you the first thing about how go- I should go about building a bridge. I regretted it. I didn't know what I got myself into and so to try to back out of my overzealous uh, commitment, I said to Jeff, uh, Jeff, you mind uh, you know, showing me what you had in mind, what, what plan you had, or showing me what tools I should use? Well, in his usual manner, Jeff just smiled and laughed. This morning, I got to ask you, what did you get yourself into? If you're here this morning, it is at least somewhat fair to assume that you have some interest in building this church. But do you know what tools to use? I mean, we want to build up God's church. We're his witnesses, but what tools should we use to do that? I mean, you think, all right, we got a fairly accessible building that has a comfortable entranceway, comfortable seats. We got a praise team. We got a website. Are these the tools that help build the church? Well, you know it's not. Because the church isn't now and it will never be about a building. The church isn't necessarily about music either. No, the church is about the people. The people that come together, that gather together around God's word. And I bet that each of us know at least one person who's not a part of the church. Who's not here right now for whatever reason. And so the question, how do we build a church, let's, let's be straightforward. It's really, how do we get people to be at church? And like I said before, it is not a question of just filling seats. Oh, it's much more than that. Essentially, the way church is in the business of building bridges, of building bridges to people who are far off, people who are far off from... We're in the business of building bridges to connect people to Christ so that they know their way in Christ. But what tools do we use to do that? Peter has the answer for us. The occasion was Pentecost. From the account that we just read, many of us are very familiar with what happened on Pentecost, but Pentecost was a festival that had been celebrated long before that day. It was an Old Testament festival, the festival of weeks, or the festival of harvest, where 50 days after the Passover, farmers and the Israelites would bring their first crop to God as an offering, as a thank offering for what he had given them. And it was on this festival, which was really the uh, Jewish version of our Thanksgiving, that a load of people had gathered together in Jerusalem, and Jesus had selected this day to send his spirit and give birth to his 
New Testament Christian church. What tool did Peter use to start building? Well, it wasn't a slick website. It wasn't a hip Facebook page, and it wasn't uh, T-shirts that he was handing out. No, what his tool to build his church was might surprise you. We're in Acts chapter 2. We'll begin our lesson with verse 23. Peter is talking to the crowds that gather around, and he said, This man, he's talking about Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him up to the cross. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. A crowd of people gathered together, swarmed together around the disciples. They hear the rush of wind. They see the fire but that's not what gathered them there. It was the fact that they heard their own language being spoken by unschooled, uncultured Galilean fishermen. And to this captive audience, Peter looks and he says, listen, fellow Israelites, fellow Jews, you know what the prophecy said about this mysterious man of God. You know the promised Messiah, son of God, descendant of David. David prophesied about him. You've been awaiting him, but he's already come. He's been here. He's died, and death couldn't hold him, so Christ raised him from the dead. The culmination of our heritage, of our history, Israelites, has come to a point. Oh, but you were on the wrong side of history because you, you are the ones who crucified him. You are the ones who killed him. You are the ones who murdered the Messiah. Could you imagine standing in the crowd on that day, hearing the, the new church's spokesperson talk to you like that? Well, that's what Peter did. I wonder what it would have been like standing in that crowd, and I wonder what it would be like if that's what we did. What if I said, you know what, this, uh, this thing we got going of uh, worshiping here every Sunday, you know, two weeks is good, but uh, I think we should try something else. Next week, uh, check your email. Uh, I don't know where I'll be yet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find a crowd, and I'm going to grab a sign, megaphone, and I'm, I'm going to be out there doing this. I'm going to tell people Peter's message. What do you think? That, would that work to build up this church? No. No, that wouldn't work. So, Peter, what are you doing what are you doing preaching that way, speaking that way to that crowd? Well, look carefully at what Peter's doing. He's using the first tool that our Holy Spirit gives us to start his church. If you're looking and following along in the sermon guide in your bulletins on page eight, here's our first fill in the blank. The Holy Spirit uses the law. What is the law? The law is is the message, the preaching, and the teaching of the Bible that shows our sin. The Holy Spirit uses the law to build his church. And by the Spirit's power, that is exactly what Peter did. Peter looked at that crowd and pointing to very specific passages, very specific verses from Scripture, which the people would have known, Peter looked at them and said, you did this. You killed him. Your sins nailed the Messiah to the cross. And as surprising as his words 
were to that crowd, their reply was even more surprising. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Well, that's the point, isn't it? What can you do? When you realize that your sins nailed Jesus to the cross, well, you can't just come to church early and join a serve team to make up for that. When you realize that what you do, what you think, what you say has put the Messiah to death, well, a few personal devotions during the week don't really, you know, get you right with God. When you realize that the things that we do, our sins, set the crown of thorns on his head, what can you do? Oh, and it stings. It cuts. It hurts. It breaks our heart. And that is the point of the law. Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is what the law does, and this is what the Holy Spirit does working through the word. Do you catch that? This is what the Holy Spirit does, working through the word. Because it wasn't just Peter up there giving his take on Good Friday. No, it was the Holy Spirit working through his message, his proclamation of the law that convinced the people there that day that I did this. It's what drove them to their, to their knees to admit, I can't deny it. I did this. I sinned. Jesus promised when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. So when the people were cut to the heart, when they asked the disciples, well, what can we do? There was really only one reply. Peter looked at them and said, Repent. He said, repent. And when you know that what the preacher's saying is right, when you know that God's word is true and that my sins have done this, what else can you do but repent? That's a big fancy church word, repent. But what does it actually, actually mean? Well, I think it's helpful if we think about repentance as really a two-step move that we can all do because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit who has placed and given the gift of faith in our hearts. The first step to repentance is this. Repentance means that I stop and change my mind. That's our fill in a blank uh, for what repentance is. The first step is this, that I stop what I'm doing, that I look at where I'm going, where I'm walking, and I change my mind about it, that I see what I'm doing and I say, this isn't what God wants. Whereas I'm walking through life and I'm, and I'm tempted by certain things, certain sins, I change my mind about how this makes me feel and I think about what God would want. As I'm walking along and I notice that what I'm doing is joining in a conversation with people that's tearing another person apart. And even though that we all can agree this person has done nothing to de deserve respect, I stop and I change my mind and I say, no, this is, this is gossip. This is, this is not giving my neighbor a good name. And I change my mind about what I'm doing. 
Repentance means that I cease with the comparisons to other people in my life, other people's things, other people's jobs, other people's circumstances, and I go, this isn't right. I gotta change the way I think about this. God wants me to give thanks in every situation. This is, this is only bringing about an attitude of ingratitude. I need to stop. I need to repent. Repentance means I need to stop and change the way I think about and look at people who aren't my spouse. I need to stop sleeping with someone I'm not married to because what God says is that marriage and purity and sexuality is, is not this. I need to repent. Peter asked the crowd to do that, to repent, to stop what they were doing, stop living a sin, stop where they're walking and change their mind about the way they see themselves, their relationship to God. And he said, look, look to him. And that is the second step of repentance. Repentance means, are you ready for this? I not only stop, but I spin. I change my course of direction. I don't only cease doing that which I've been doing, but I pause and I turn around and I look from my sin to the cross where I see that Christ is not there. And there he did say it's finished. And even though I am a sinner, I'm a saint. I stop and I look and I see that all of my sins, no matter how many I've done, no matter how unspeakable, no matter how humanly speaking unforgivable they really are, God remembers them no more. Oh, this idea of repentance, it's, it's foreign to a lot of people, but especially the second half, the second step, if you will, of repentance. So many people stop what they're doing, but they forget to turn their back on sin and look to the cross because what they think is if I admit, if I truly confess and repent of what I'm doing, oh, God's a big bad judge who's going to lock me up. The church is going to punish me if I repent. Peter knew. Peter knew that that crowd that day deserved a, a verbal undressing, if you will, through the law. He knew that they needed to take off the mask of arrogance. They needed to take off the shroud of their false religion that they were living if they were truly going to live for Christ. And so he told them to repent, to stop what they're doing, to spin around, to look at Christ. But he didn't just stop with that message. He said this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cut to the heart, the crowd says, what should we do? And look at what Peter says. He doesn't say, ah, go out, make a confession, and do this and this. He doesn't say, you know what, all right, you've repented, now say a little prayer, and go and accept Jesus to yourself. No, he doesn't point them to themselves. What Peter does is point them to the cross. Peter points them to Christ. He says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, Peter, he had some really, really good news for him. And that news is a message we call the gospel. And that news is the second and the most amazing, the most powerful tool 
that our Holy Spirit uses to build his church. The Holy Spirit uses the law, yes, to show us our sin, but the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to show our Savior and to build his church. And that is the message that Peter preached to that crowd to that day. He said, be baptized. Here is some good news. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that means that you are baptized into everything he has and everything he's ever done. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that means that you are baptized to become a son and daughter of God. Being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit means that everything that Jesus has, you have. His holiness is your holiness. His perfection is your perfection. His forgiveness, his forgiveness is for you. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for your forgiveness. That we commit every day who, who do, who repent every day from sins that we commit every day. Prize and cherish the forgiveness that Christ gives. But oftentimes we hear that message that Christ forgives the sins of the whole world and we forget that he also forgives my sins, the things that I have done. And that is what we are given in baptism, a personal assurance that all of your sins have been forgiven. And that idea for, of forgiveness, it's another churchy word that we just, we, don't, we just say often. We don't take time to really define. What does forgiveness mean? Forgiveness means to send away. And don't get me wrong, I am, I am so thankful that I am a New Testament Christian believer and I don't live in the Old Testament with all of the, the rules and regulations and festivals. But if there was one festival, one festival that I did get to watch at least once, I think this one might be it. It was the Great Day of Atonement, a festival that would happen only once a year. And during this festival, the high priest would take a goat, an actual goat, not the greatest of all times. He would take a goat before him, and he would put his hands on the goat. And he would confess all of the sins, all of the wickedness, all of the evil that Israel had done. And in a symbolic way, the sins of the people would be transferred onto this goat, this scapegoat. Someone would take this goat out of town, out of the camp, and release it into the wilderness with a get gone, be gone, leave, go away, and would go. And out the sins would go. The people would watch as the goat would leave, and they would never see it again. And it would be a powerful reminder to them that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your sins from you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism, it isn't just this symbolic reminder of what Jesus did one time. No, it is a daily reminder that you are washed clean, that forgiveness is yours. And that is why we love baptism at The Way Church. We love baptism, whether it's for children, young adults, old adults, because it provides forgiveness for you. This is the message of the gospel, and this is what Peter shared with them that day. But listen to this. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Peter announced to the crowd that they should repent, that they should be baptized, that they should get Jesus, he said, oh, you're going to get on top of that, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Do you know what the greatest, greatest miracle of Pentecost was? It wasn't the sound of the rushing wind. It wasn't the, the flames of fire that appeared above their heads, although that's all I seem to really remember from my Sunday school felt board lesson. It wasn't that. It wasn't Jesus, rather the Holy Spirit, pulling off better language acquisition even faster than Rosetta Stone. No. The, the greatest miracle of Pentecost was the work of the Holy Spirit, turning stubborn, obstinate hearts of stone into hearts that were his home, hearts that beat and live for Christ. The greatest miracle of, of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit taking a crowd that just 50 days earlier shouted, crucify him, crucify him, uh, let the, his blood be on us and our children, and now turning them, turning them to their knees where they say, brothers, what should we do? And he says, no, no blood, no punishment on you and your children. But the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and all who are far off. This is the miracle of Pentecost. And how did the Holy Spirit accomplish this? Well, through the, his tools, the tools of the proclamation of law and gospel. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In the end, I, I did build Jeff's bridge. You want to know how I built his bridge? Well, it's because Jeff caught on that this kid going to school to be a pastor had no clue how to build a bridge. And so he took the time to give me his plan. He also took the time to give me every single tool that I would need to get the work done. And in case you're wondering, that bridge was and still is very safe to walk across. I'm Pentecost. Peter and the apostles built 3,000 bridges. About 3,000 bridges to people who were far off from God and the Spirit closer to him. How'd they do it? Well, the Holy Spirit gave them his plan. The Holy Spirit gave them his tools. It was the message of the law and the gospel. That is what built the church on that day. And my friends, that is exactly what builds the church today. And that is our big idea for today. The Holy Spirit gives his gifts. The Holy Spirit's tools that he used to build his church are the same tools. The same tools that will build the way church in Fredericksburg, the law and the gospel. Last week, our message was that God's plan A for building the church sits on the proclamation of what Christ did. It sits on the promises of what Christ is doing, and it's the purpose for our lives as well. That's God's plan A. There is no plan B. And that theme, that message will carry throughout our study of the book of Acts. 
God builds his church one way, and that is with these tools, the message of the law and the gospel. And so what does that mean for us as a church right now? What does that mean for you and me as we leave here? Well, would you take a moment to just do a quick exercise that a wise pastor taught me when I was growing up? Would you, would you sit up in your chair and take in a deep breath, take in a deep inhale? And while you're at it, take in one more, don't let out. And if you can, take in another one. And if you can, take in another one yet. And hold your breath, don't let it out. That's what a lot of Christians do. That's what a lot of churches do. They breathe in the gifts that God gives us. They breathe in the good news of what Christ has done for us. They breathe in the promises of what Christ is doing for you, what he's doing with you, and what he's doing through you. The promises that he has a purpose for your life. They breathe in all that grace and all that love, but they never breathe out. They never exhale. They never breathe out their sin in repentance. And if you haven't figured it out by now, in just a few seconds you will, a body can't live like that. A body can't grow that way. A body that only inhales and never exhales will die. And it's the same for a church. A church that never exhales can never grow. A church that never exhales their sins will die. And so what does that mean for the way church? Well, that means that we will be a church that breathes in as much as we breathe out. We'll breathe out as much as we breathe in. And that means that we as a church will do hard things. We'll have difficult conversations. We'll not only preach the gospel, but we'll also share the law. We'll do what Peter did and we'll tell people to repent. If you've prioritized your life, your work, and your vacation in such a way where it squeezes out time to gather around the word and the sacraments, stop it. Repent. If your lives and your values match more with the world's than with the words, quit it. Repent. Turn around. If your budget doesn't look any differently than someone who never goes to church, repent. If your language in God's house doesn't match your language that you use in your own house, don't do that. Stop. Repent. If you're lying to your parents, if you're lying and hiding something from your teacher, repent. If you're thinking judgmental thoughts and acting in a judgmental way towards people in this community who aren't here yet, people whom we are called to serve, stop. Repent. That's the message of the law. That's the message that we will use to encourage, to share with one another. And my prayer for us today is this, that as we look at what it means to share the law, to preach the law, to repent, to stop what we're doing, to spin around, to look towards Christ, you realize that the message of the law is not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. Because when we share the law, we are cut. And it might not be a gentle exhale get rid of our sins. It might feel like we're getting the wind knocked out of us at times, but it hurts and it should because that's what the law does. It cuts us to our hearts. It makes us ask, what should we do? And we stop and we look and the answer is nothing because the Holy Spirit is our good spiritual surgeon 
He cuts us open, and yes, he uses a sharp knife. But when he does, he removes the cancer of our sin. And that is what the law does. It gets rid of the bad. It gets rid of the sickness inside of us so that we can live, so that we can grow. My prayer is also that you realize and you trust that the message of the law is good because the message of the law is always followed by the message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit has never let anyone bleed out on the operating table, and that's the same with Christians. Christians who share the law also share the gospel. The message that you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. My brothers and sisters, if, if anything that was said in this sermon today makes you feel guilty, makes you feel ashamed, know that it's something that Christ has paid for. Know if there's anything that you remember with regret, that you wish you didn't do, that you wish you didn't say, know that God remembers it no more. This is the message of the gospel. This is what the law and the gospel accomplishes. It accomplishes the building up of the church, the building us up spiritually and numerically as well. Because what it does is it takes hearts and lives that are far from Christ and it brings them to him. This is the law and the gospel. And because that's what the law and the gospel does, you're going to see a lot of this every time you come to the way. What is this? Well, if you open up to the very last page, page 14 of your service folder, you're going to see the Ways Discipleship Cycle in there. The Ways Discipleship Cycle lays out exactly how we plan to build this church, how we plan to make more disciples. As the launch team met over the last year and talked about what we want to do and what we want to be as a church and what our mission and ministry will look like, what we talked about is that we are going to do a few things and we're going to do them as well as we can to the glory of God. We're going to worship the way. That means we're going to worship the way. That is Jesus Christ. We're also going to live the life. That means we're going to live life the way that God calls us to live it. Serving others. Gathering together socially with others. We're going to learn the truth. We're going to learn the wisdom that God's word has for us. And we are going to bring our neighbors, not only just to church, but we are going to bring them the message of the law and the gospel. I suppose that lets you in on a little bit of the reason about why we picked these four things. When we gather together to worship the way, what do we gather around? We'll gather around God's word. And what, what do you find in God's word? The law and the gospel, the very things that build the church. And when we gather together next month for our life groups, what's going to be around every study and every discussion that we have? It's God's word, the law and the gospel, the very tools that build his church. And when there is learn events here at The Way, whether it's for children, whether it's for teens, or whether it's for adults, what do you suppose we're going to study? God's word that has the message of the law and the gospel, the Holy Spirit's tools to build up the church. And my prayer, when you go home and you go out from here and you talk to your neighbors, when you share with your neighbors, 
what your church is all about. Yeah, you tell them about how you really like the music and everyone there is really friendly and welcoming and we have really great food and treats and snacks on Sunday and we have really comfy chairs that we get to sit in during church. Sure, I hope you tell all of that, but I pray that your, your conversation is flavored with God's word. The message of the law and the gospel, the tools the Holy Spirit has given you to build up his church. So what you think? Think you can build a bridge? I don't, I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is that you are thinking about, that you love, that you care about, that you're praying for, that you want to build a bridge to. And I don't know if you'll be building across a, a little creek, across a wide river, or across a sea. But know this, the promises, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who are far off. You might have to be bold like Peter. You might have to say something that hurts. You might have to say something that someone doesn't really like. But you have the tools, and if you don't use them, the bridge won't be built. But when you do use them, when you do use the tools, the message of the law and the gospel to build this church, something incredible will happen. The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit comes through the working of his word and he will bring people to faith. He will bring people to repentance and he will bring those who are far from Christ across that bridge to live a life where they know their way in Christ. They know what it's like to live a life in Christ. And he'll do that, not through a display of wind and fire and flames, but the Holy Spirit will do that through you and through your message of the law and the gospel. Amen.